Hey, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter two, if you would, please. Luke chapter two. Last Sunday, we were in this chapter, verses one through seven. This morning, we're going to be going to verses eight through 20. We'll take a little bit of a stop in Matthew. Matthew mainly is going to be um, for next Sunday. This morning, we're going to be talking about the wisdom of the shepherds. Next Sunday, it'll be the wisdom of the wise men. You'll see what I mean. I hope and pray this is a blessing. Let's pray. You know what we need right now? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God having free reign in our hearts. Not only do we need Christ as Savior, but we need who he gives to us, the Spirit of God. There's discernment that needs to take place right now. You'll see what I mean. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, now I ask that you would speak to each of us. Lord, I don't know if there's anybody here that needs you as Savior, but I pray that if they do, they would recognize what their sin has done, the separation that comes, the, the, the damnation that awaits those who say no to Christ, but the joy of a complete salvation to those who turn to you. So again, your will be done. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Would you forgive me? Once again, I'm going to use a well-worn phrase. In fact, I'm going to be doing that a couple of times, once this morning, another one next Sunday. I've repeated it a lot, but I just love it, and it's this. I love the lunchbox crowd. Now, don't get me wrong. I praise God for professional people, nurses, and all God's people said... I, you know, surgeons, I mean, all, you know, you name it, people that are of a professional nature, I praise God for that. But let me tell you something. I grew up with and I worked with people that kept the cars running, the toilets flushing, the water flowing, the AC working, the electricity on, homes built, and farm animals happy. I like that crowd. I can still see in my mind's eye my dad's lunchbox. When I was a kid and he was a plumber, when he would come home, he'd always save us a cookie that we could have that he didn't eat purposely so my sister and I could have it. I love the lunchbox crowd. Now again, next week we're going to be going in, we're going to be seeing people that wouldn't be considered the lunchbox crowd. In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you that well-worn phrase that we're going to be looking at next Sunday. Wise men still seek him. But right now, we're going to see this. You need not turn to it, but just to build towards this message. Please let me give you the following. 
wise men sought to honor him. Again, we'll see that next week. Matthew 2.2. 2. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. That's a whole message in itself. A wicked man sought to slay him. I did this several years ago. I forget how many years ago, but I'm going to share with you the history of Herod. That man was a nutcase. He was wicked, he was vile, he was cruel. We were in the place in Israel that he built by the name of Masada. That was his getaway area. He wanted to get away from his enemies. He wanted to get away from danger. He wanted to get away literally to himself. We went into the room where he would stay. He went all over the place, but again, I'll share that with you next week. Then there were the senseless scholars. The wicked man who sought to slay him in Matthew 2 said this, when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. The senseless scholars, the Jewish wise men, they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. I don't know how many of you have thought about this. I'm sure a good number of you. But you've got to stop and ask yourself, why weren't they watching for him? Why weren't they looking? And when this took place, wasn't there some kind of a trigger that was pulled? They had the scriptures. Now, again, we'll speak of that next week. Down through the centuries, it's been amazing how people have not only found the Messiah, but they denied the Messiah. There was an answer to a denial that maybe some of you have read before. It's worth it. it in, in, the, in, the, in the language of sports, it was a slam dunk. And it was given by a man who had been our governor and one day was president. Let me explain. In March of 1978, a letter to a Methodist minister who expressed doubts about Christ's divinity. I'm sad to say this, but we know where he's at now if he was denying Christ. He accused Reagan of a, quote, limited Sunday school level theology. Here was Ronald Reagan's response. Perhaps it is true that Jesus never used the word Messiah with regard to himself, although I'm not sure that he didn't. But in John 1, John 10, and John 14, he identifies himself pretty definitely and more than once. Is there, any, is there really any ambiguity in his words, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John 10, he says, 
I am in the Father, and the Father in me. And he makes reference to being with God. Before the world was, and sitting on the throne, the right hand of God. These and other statements he made about himself foreclose, in my opinion, any question as to his divinity. It doesn't seem to me that he gave us any choice. Either he was what he said he was, or he was the world's greatest liar. It is impossible for me to believe a liar or charlatan could have had the effect on mankind that he has had for 2,000 years. We could ask what even the greatest of liars carry his lie through to the crucifixion when a simple confession would have saved him. Did he allow us the choice you say that you and others have made to believe his teachings but reject his statements about his own identity? This uneducated, propertyless young man has for 2,000 years had a greater effect on the world than all the rulers, kings, emperors, all the conquerors, generals and admirals, all the scholars, scientists, and philosophers who have ever lived, all of them put together. How do we explain that unless he really was what he said he was? And all God's people said, I'll never forget when we met Reagan and our daughter Heather handed him a simple slip of paper where she had written, Dear Mr. President, Jesus is. Jesus is loving, Jesus is caring, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is all you'll ever need. Love, Heather. He bent down, put his arm around her, looked her in the face and said, I want you to know, I believe everything on that page. Let me tell you something. That's something that we need to have in the White House right now and the governor's mansion. So we pray for it. Amen? But now let's go to these men. The angels, in their joy, came to those who were wise in their simplicity. The shepherds showed wisdom. Wisdom above the scholars. Simple shepherds. They were thrilled. Once again, before we get to Luke 2, 1 Corinthians 1. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught the things which are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I love the story of the scholar who came and mocked 
the man who was reading his Bible at his job site, and he said, you, I can't believe you're reading it. You're, you think that's, what does that Bible tell you? The man looked up at him and he said, Jesus gonna win. That's what my Bible tells me. Every one of us, every person on this earth who has ever lived and lives today has a God-sized hole in their lives. The world is busy giving them whatever they can, drugs, entertainment, you name it, whatever, to fill that hole. It doesn't work. But still, God's people will get mocked by it. <laughs> when I was on the job site at times, it, it was just... It, it was sad, but it was funny when somebody would say to me, you know, the reason why you're so religious is you're weak. And while he's saying that, he's sucking on a cigarette because he needs the nicotine. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Commentator by the name of William Barclay states, these were likely very special shepherds. It's fascinating when you can go three-dimensional on this. Again, when my wife and I, we weren't able to go into Bethlehem because who controls Bethlehem? We didn't, we didn't cross over uh, into the Palestinian territory, which is where Bethlehem is, but you can go just outside of Bethlehem. And we were looking at the fields that there are those, scholars, etc., that believe that this is where these shepherds were. In the temple, morning and evening, there was an unblemished lamb that was sacrificed morning and evening. The temple authorities, in order to help those that were coming and they were traveling, and they didn't have a lamb that they could sacrifice that was good like it needed to be, pure, etc., they had their special sheep that they could sell, people could purchase. These flocks were kept nearby Bethlehem. Most likely, the shepherds that the angels came to, they oversaw these sheep. A Greek scholar and commentator by the name of Vincent said this, quote, there was near Bethlehem on the road to Jerusalem, a tower known as Migdal Eder or Eder. It is known as the watchtower of the flock. This is where we were in one of these watchtowers. How big were the towers? The answer was always, how many rocks do you have? The more the rocks, the bigger the tower. No joke, that's what they measured it by. This tower was there watching these sheep, most likely. Verse 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, singular at this time, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now understand, one angel, but the glory of the Lord is being seen. And they were sore afraid. You read about, and maybe some of you have read this, the shepherds were looked down upon by the religious crowd. The reason was 
they weren't able to keep the special days, the, 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 the sacrifices at the temple. They were too busy watching the sheep that represented the coming Savior. And so they were looked down upon. They were seen as anything but worshipers of God. And they were gripped by fear. What would you think? Look at verse 10. And the angel said unto them, what are the next two words? Fear not. How many times do we read that in this narrative? For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. You see the phrase, I bring good tidings? The Greek word that translates from that, this is where we get our word, evangelize or evangelist. These angels were there spreading the good news, the glad tidings. They were evangelizing. And speaking of the fear nots, you stop and consider this. Back in chapter one in Luke, fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall indeed bear a son, and you'll call his name John. In Luke 1, verse 30, the angel said unto her, Mary, fear not, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And then, of course, Joseph, Matthew 1, verse 20. Here he is thinking on things. He's heard that Mary is pregnant. Oh boy, wait a minute. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. You know, we've heard fear not from different people at times, sometimes from government. Franklin Roosevelt, I understand, we weren't there back in the 30s. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Meanwhile, there were four men that were coming up the ranks, getting power, and they would be responsible for the death of millions. You think of Stalin, Hitler, Tojo, Mussolini. They brought on those four men, World War II. Sometimes hearing fear not from men doesn't count, but when God says, fear not, fear not, he means it. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you you shall, find, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Lowly men, stop and consider this. They're not going after the scholars. Lowly men are told to go to a lowly place. Remember we talked about that last week? There's two words for the word in. It wasn't a hotel. It was a place, a situation that had no caretaker. There was a place for animals. There was water, but you had to bring the food. 
and there might be a place if you want to bed down under the stars. Other than that, there was nobody there. That's the kind of place they went to, and that was full. They went to this instead, in a manger, unprotected, just animals, with all the smell and all the disease, if it could be, all of that, and that's where they found Jesus. Lowly men going to a lowly place. Folks, please think of this to find the King of Kings. That's the kind of God we have. He identifies with the lowliest. I think that includes us, amen? That includes us. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> All of a sudden they just showed up. Now it was, it was the Lord, I understand. I, you know, from a human perspective, uh, let's, let's just say for the fun of it, it was Gabriel down there talking to the, uh, talking, uh, to the shepherds. And another one of the angels says, hey, come on, we got to go. And there they are. Multitude of the angels of the heavenly host praising God and saying, by the way, the word host is a military term. This is a band of marching soldiers coming. That's what it means. Here came these guys. They weren't they weren't confused and they weren't in disarray. They came in, they had it together. This is heaven's army. They know what's going on. They know what this is all about. And because of that, they're here. They're praising God. And look what they said, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. This has been it. We know from Scripture that the coming of the Lord was known before the foundation of the world. We will find out more of the detail when we get to heaven. But we just know this, that from the beginning, this was known that it would take place. Angels were there understanding everything that was going on. They are not up there going, can you believe what our God is having to do for these wicked people? No, they came forth. They broke loose. Can you imagine being there? I mean, when we were standing there and you're looking up in the sky and it's like, what direction did they come from? That's stunning. Verse 15, and it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another. Now, once again, forgive me, I've got to bring in a personal note. I was in the seventh grade. We're having our Christmas program at the Christian school that I was in. I was a shepherd, and this was my line. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Do you think there was any doubt in his mouth or his mind what was going on? We would say today, whoa, let's go, and they're gone. The shepherds didn't waste any time. Verse 16, and they came with haste. They didn't dawdle. Is that, is that a word? 
They, they, they didn't just kind of mosey on over. I mean, it says they came with haste. They got on their bikes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They found exactly what they were told. You know, at the, at the service yesterday, it was great to have people. And, and, you know, you wonder because you don't know these people. Katya knows them better than I do, obviously. But you don't know these people. And sometimes you wonder, okay, who it is that I might be talking to that doesn't know the Lord? I mean, that happens in a service. Right now, there might be somebody here. You don't know Christ. But when you stop and think about this, as you're giving the gospel or as you're reflecting on what you have, you realize this. What the Bible told you, you realize that's exactly what you get. When it's salvation from sin, that's what you get. Salvation from hell, that's what you get. The presence of Christ and his Holy Spirit indwelling in you, that's what you get. Peace that passes all understanding, that's what you get. They found it exactly what heaven said they would find. You take this Bible and friend, you will find what God promised, it's there. This young man gets up. Hey, thank you for your prayers. Why? Because God met needs. Giselle, same thing. There's so many of us. We know this. Answered prayer. A God that loves us. It's there. What we believe affects how we behave. Let me repeat that again, just in case there might be scholars here that are resisting. Behavior follows belief. What we believe affects how we behave. Doctrine is teaching. Doctrine affects deeds. They believe the revelation. Oh, but they were simple people, and they're still rejoicing in heaven. I can imagine that those shepherds have run into angels that came and told them of Christ's birth. Hey, remember when that happened? Praise God. Just my thinking. They didn't say, let's go see if this is true. They said, let's go see what we have heard. It is true. What is come to pass. The angels came and, by God's grace, recognized the message was true. It's, mess, it's true for us too. John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Bible says so. And he that believeth not the Son shall what? Shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Can you imagine living this life not recognizing that you are doomed and damned. That's why we need to give the gospel. That's why this is going over the internet right now. 
That's why I pray that somebody is hearing this, either here or there or down the road, recognizing they have a need. Let me ask you something. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Say amen. amen. Do you have a need? Yes. I want to encourage you. In the Scripture is every truth that you need to live the life God has given you. Every one. That is another reason why we celebrate this time and we joy and rejoice on them. Listen, the angels, if they had the opportunity, would still be shouting it from heaven. During the tribulation, going to be interesting. There might be a little bit of shouting coming from heaven. Now listen, the angels gave this. We understand there's a message for us. It's sometimes hard. By the way, let me interject this a little bit. We have an opportunity to give the gospel here. It's not always easy. Convenience is not always on the same schedule as opportunity. But you know something? If God so loved the world, it means he loved the world. When he gave, he gave enough for everyone. Let's recognize that. And let's remind people, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Look at verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Those three words, made known abroad, come from one Greek word, which means to publish abroad, to make known thoroughly. They let people know, this is what we heard, this is what we understand, this is what we saw, and this is what we're here to tell you. They published that abroad. The Bible says they were on their way back to work. They had to take care of the shepherds, or excuse me, of the sheep, but for those people that were nearby that could hear it, this is what they said. That's a shepherd. Amazing that people so lowly, that society thought so little of, were so bold with the message of Christ. Verse 18. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Can you imagine the, uh, <laughs> what they stirred up? What in the world is this? What's going on? What do say? He said, what again? They came and they saw. They rejoiced. They went out. I love this little thought that is interjected here. Look at verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, I'm sure that there were others that kept things in. I'm sure Joseph thought of this. He, 
It wasn't too much longer down the road. All of a sudden, Joseph just kind of disappears. But Mary, from start to finish of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, kept these things in her heart. You know, we're going to be getting to the point soon where we're going to start reading our Bibles again through. I hope and pray you're reading your Bible. Listen, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Bible is the source of the faith that God is able to to generate in you. It's not a feeling. It's that which is found in this book. So once again, we'll be getting back to reading our Bibles through again. I hope and pray you determine to take these things and ponder them in your heart. I hope we all do. Verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. Why? For all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told them. Again, they went back to their duties. That's it. Praise God. They have a new way to look at those sheep. They have a new way to joy and rejoice in their Savior. They have believed. Take out your hymn book, would you please? In closing, there's a song in here that was not meant to be a Christmas song. A man by the name of Isaac Watts drew out several thoughts from a psalm. Psalm 98, toward the latter end, it says this, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together. Before the Lord, for he cometh to judge the earth. With righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. So Isaac Watts sat down and wrote a hymn that, according to him, was supposed to be a New Testament expression of praise. And it's called Joy. To the world. Turn to 317, if you would please. 317. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove 
the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. The world, for the most part, really doesn't know why they celebrate Christmas. I remember reading an account of a man who was asking people in Japan, it's all, you know, it's all put together, you know, all the decorations, everything. Ask somebody, what is Christmas all about? And she said, I don't know. Isn't that when Jesus died? But you know, how many of us really remember? I mean, thoroughly remember in our families, etc. You know, it truly is this, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Our salvation is complete. And all we have to do is trust. Trust the Savior to do for us what we can't do ourselves. We can't work our way into it. We're not born into it. And this building doesn't give it to us. It's by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's salvation. He was born to die. And he rose again. And praise God for the salvation we have in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the salvation that we have at our disposal. We can obtain simply by looking to the Savior. The same way we're told in John 3 how Israel looked to Moses' rod with the snake on it. They just looked because they were told to trust what it could do. We look to the Savior because we're told what he can do, what Jesus can do for us.